in the Bible, and it can seem to not make sense. We're talking about spiritual gifts, and then there's almost this tangent. Paul says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way, and some people see that as this competition between spiritual gifts and love. That's actually not what's going on at all. Again, the, the overall context for all this is how we function together as a body. What does it look like when we gather together on, in our case, Sunday morning? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We'll look at the first half of it today. And now I'll show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames that have not love, I gain nothing. Again, this whole idea of uh, the the most excellent way. What Paul is saying, the Corinthians have been using spiritual gifts really as weapons. They're seeing them as these personal badges of spiritual uh, maturity or spirituality. And so if if whoever speaks in tongues, they're at the top of the ladder and everybody else is lower down the list. And what Paul is saying is you've completely missed the point. These gifts are given to build up the body. Like we've been saying, the gifts that are given to Matt are given to Matt for me. They're not given to Matt for Matt. Our gifts are given to us for the benefit of of the body, and that's this whole idea of love. It's building up the body of Christ. And so what Paul is saying is not no spiritual gifts, but spiritual gifts in the context of love for one another. And then he lists some, tongues of men and tongues of angels. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks when we get to chapter 14. The gift of prophecy, that's another one we'll hit in chapter 14. That's what both, That's all that chapter 14 is about. I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, this whole idea of revelation. I have faith that can move mountains, that's not saving faith, but this particular belief that God's going to do something miraculous in the moment. So he lists these gifts and says, without love, none of those mean anything. And then these two pretty extreme examples of of self-sacrifice, if I give everything I've got for the poor, if I'm a martyr, if I die for the gospel. And Paul says, even that, without love, means nothing. It reminds me of what Jesus says to the disciples in Matthew 6, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking to his disciples, and he mentions uh, what he calls acts of righteousness, prayer and giving and fasting. And he says this, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness, again, that's prayer, giving, and fasting, before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Same idea Paul and Jesus have. The, uh, the, gift, the, the expression of spiritual gifts, the expressions of self-sacrifice, these acts of righteousness, what we would consider these very, uh, these spiritual disciplines, this holy behavior, none of it matters if it's not coming from the right heart. Now, I'd say horizontally, that's not necessarily uh, the case. If you're wicked and you give $10 to Musk and I'm righteous and I give $10 to Musk, my $10 and your $10, they buy the same amount of food and it still puts food in someone's stomach. So horizontally, it's the same thing. We're going to have ministry teams here up in a few minutes, and some of you may be on the ministry team. And If you're a huge jerk, and you come up, and you're on the ministry team, and somebody comes forward, and, and they're hurting, and you pray, and God uses you to heal them, well, he still it, it doesn't devalue the healing that they receive through you, although you were a jerk. It doesn't, that doesn't matter. Horizontally, it's the same. Vertically, it's different. Stuff doesn't register, or God doesn't see it, if you can hear that. God doesn't see those things if they're done from a bad heart. 
So God doesn't see the $10 that the wicked person gives to much. It still puts food on the table for someone who's hungry. It doesn't register in heaven. God doesn't recognize the ministry from someone who's self-seeking or someone who's a jerk. It, it, it still may benefit us, but it doesn't register in heaven. God doesn't look at the outward. He looks at the inward. He doesn't judge the way we do. He's looking at the heart, which is wonderful for us when we mess up because God knows what our intentions were. We tried. We, just, we didn't execute very well. And that's comforting for us to know that God doesn't just look at how well we execute. He looks at our motives. He looks at our intentions. The flip of that is that when everybody else is patting us on the back and when somebody's building a building in your name and you get the you know, pew reserved for you with gold plates that has your name on it or whatever, that, none of that stuff impresses God. He has a different measure for us. He's looking at hearts. Matthew said, or Jesus says this at the end of Matthew 7. This is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? There's one of those spiritual gifts, and in your name drive out demons. There's another one, and perform many miracles. There's a third, and I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I'm someone, I keep score only for me. I don't keep score of anybody else, but I keep score for myself. One of the things that's important for me to recognize is my scorecard. Is my scorecard the same as God's scorecard for me? Is the scorecard that I'm using to grade myself the same one that he's using to grade me? Often the answer to that is no. It's not spiritual gifts. It's not self-sacrificial deeds. It's not even these acts of righteousness. How much have you prayed or how much have you given or how much have you... None of that stuff. His scorecard is completely different. And if I'm going to line my life up with what he's desiring for my life, then I've got to be willing to trade my scorecard for his. Some of you don't have that problem, but I know there's at least a handful of you. You you do the same thing that I do. You're keeping track of yourself. You've got a running total. Somebody asked a question the other day, kind of an icebreaker question. They said, if you had a time machine and you could go forward or back, to any point in history for 24 hours. Just to observe, you can't, you can't monkey with anything. All you're doing is observing. Tell me the three. And my first one, within two seconds, is I want to fast forward to when I'm 70 so I can see how everything turned out. I want to know, did I do it right? How did, it, how did my kids turn out? Meaning, are they taking care of me now? I want to know those kind of, I want to know those questions. If I stay on the track that I'm on, where am I going to end up? For some of you, that's not a, thing, but again, I, I believe there's at least a handful of you, and you need to be the same as me, you need to ask the question, what scorecard am I using to evaluate my life, and is it the same scorecard that Jesus is using? He says, only those who do the will of my Father, those are the ones uh, who are pleasing to him, so what does that look like? John 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, now remain in my love, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. My command is this, love each other as I, as I have loved you. And then in verse 17, he repeats it. This is my command, to love each other. Romans 13, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, don't commit adultery, 
don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. Those are all listed in the Ten Commandments. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. When Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, he said there's two. You love God and you love people. If you do those two things, you're doing everything that's listed in the Old Testament. There's 613 laws in the Old Testament, and all you've got to do is remember two. Love God and love people. If you're doing that, then you're keeping the whole thing. Galatians 5, 6 says this. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. If you want to know what does it mean to follow Jesus, what does it mean to live the Christian life, that's the only verse you have to memorize. Faith, that is trust in God expressing itself in love for other people. If you're doing that, if you're expressing trust in God by loving other people, that's it. That's the scorecard that God is using for my life and for your life. Are you demonstrating trust in him by the way you're choosing to love others? Yes or no? That's all of this. The rest of it, if it's not done from that heart, it doesn't register in heaven. It doesn't matter the accolades. It doesn't matter the pats on the back. It doesn't matter what we would say, even the fruit. What he wants to know is, is an expression of faith expressing itself in love. Verse 4. There's going to be some extended uh, or expanded definitions up on the screen. You can look at that as I read through this description of love. Love is patient. The King James says love suffers long. That's a great picture. Love has a long fuse. It takes a long time for love to uh, blow its top, lose its temper. Love is kind. For us, a lot of times, kind means nice. That's not really what's going on here. Um, Love does useful things for other people. It's a more active understanding than just being nice. Love does not envy. I think of that maybe particularly in work uh, situations. Love doesn't uh, is not in competition. Love doesn't uh, develop rivalries. Love doesn't uh, desire what somebody else has, a, a title, a credit, position, money, whatever that is. There's no competition in love. Love does not boast. It's not a windbag. doesn't draw undue attention to itself. Love is not proud or arrogant. Love is not rude. That's not uh, bad manners in the sense of you don't know which fork to use for your salad. It's uh, Love doesn't cause others to blush. I think of that maybe particularly when it comes to things like humor, um, that type of Love doesn't do anything that's going to make someone else uncomfortable, that's going to cause them to be embarrassed or cause them to blush. Love is not self-seeking, I would say. You want to clean definition for biblical love that's it that's the negative love is not self-seeking the flip of that is love does what's best for another regardless of the cost to itself that's the cleanest definition of biblical love love is not self-seeking that's the negative the positive love does what's best for another regardless of the cost to itself that's john three sixteen. for god so loved the world that he gave what's best for us is to be reconciled to our father the only way that's going to happen is at the expense of his son, and that's this ultimate demonstration of love. So love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Uh, that, can, that, I think, ties together this whole idea of being patient. It's not just that you have a long fuse. It's also that you have a thick skin. It takes a lot to kind of rile you up. Um, you're not touchy. You're not irritable. Uh, you're not overly sensitive, those kinds of things. And there's some people who take offense. That everything that's said, you take in the worst possible light. Uh, You take it all very personally. Love is not like that. 
Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Love extends grace. Love chooses to look at what's said or done in the best possible light, not the worst possible light. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. This, to me, any long-term relationship, particularly marriage. Love keeps no record of wrongs. I was saying I keep score of myself, but I can't keep score for Misty. I can't keep track of the wrongs. And, just as importantly, I can't keep track of my rights. I can't keep track of her wrongs, and I can't keep track of my rights. Love isn't. Love doesn't care about fair. Love doesn't care who emptied the dishwasher last time. Love doesn't care who took out the trash. Like, none of that matters to love. And in a long-term relationship, particularly in a marriage, that's the kind of thing that over time will kill you. That's where resentment builds up over time. When people get to the I always and you never, that type, that's because you've been keeping score. If you're not keeping score, there, you never get to always and never. Because there's, there's, there's nothing to draw from. If that's the type of mentality you have, particularly towards your spouse, you're keeping a record in your mind. You're keeping a record of what they're doing wrong, and most likely you're keeping a record of what you are doing right. I don't know any couple in the history of the world who can divide things 50-50. And if you can, I will bring you up here, and you can tell the rest of us how to do it. Never seen it done, ever. I don't know how you do, you do it based on hours. Well, I sp- it took me an hour to cut the grass, so now you owe me an hour inside folding laundry. You do it based on the nastiness of the chores. Well, I changed three diapers, and you should have seen this one. And so that puts you, I mean, how do you, what do you, how do you weigh 50-50 when it comes to that? I don't know how that works. My recommendation, assume you're going to do 80% of the work every day. That way you... If you assume that you're doing 80 and she's assuming that she's doing 80, then somehow it all gets done. And when you're doing more than your share, it doesn't matter because that's what you committed to anyway. You already said you're going to do more than your share. You don't want to keep record of their wrongs and you don't want to keep a record of your rights. Trying to do 50-50, I don't think it works. Yesterday morning, I usually get up before Misty and I was hammering on the wall by the bed and she said, are you trying to wake me up? And I said, no, well, maybe. I, that's, not, that's not it. It's not I got up and started working, so now you've got to get up. That's not how things work. So, again, my encouragement to you in long-term love relationships, I think it particularly plays out in marriage, have that conversation. Figure out how that's going to work in your home and figure it out now. Because it sounds silly and it's easy to laugh about, but it's, it creates this resentment one to another. And once you start going down that road, it can be hard to pull up once you've decided that she always or he never. That can be a difficult thing to pull back from. So love that keeps no record of wrongs or rights. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. I think this maybe is the trickiest one to get. Practically, I would say, let's say Jesus is the truth. He said that about himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So uh, what brings, what makes you smile? What makes you laugh? Where do you get pleasure? Are they things that line up with his character or not? And before you think that means you can only listen to the fish and read Christian fiction and those kind of things, most of us get our picture of, what it, of, of Jesus actually from John the Baptist and not from Jesus himself. 
John the Baptist lived a very strict life of, self, of self-denial. Absolutely. He was, we would consider him weird. He ate locusts and wild honey. He wore clothes made out of goat hair or camel hair. He lived out in the desert, probably pretty antisocial all the way around. Not necessarily the kind of guy who you would invite to your house for dinner unless you had locusts and honey that you were serving. Jesus is way here on the other side. What does he say about himself? You, you said to me, he's, people are griping to him, and he says, John the Baptist came. He's way over here. He's this extreme lifestyle of self-denial, and you didn't listen to him. And I've come, and I'm way over here. You're calling me a glutton. You're calling me a drunkard. You say I'm a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You're not listening to either one of us. It's like your kids, and they play funeral music, and you gripe, and we play wedding music, and you gripe. And Jesus is much more wedding music. First miracle he did was at a wedding. He turned water into wine in order to extend the reception. He said he came to give us life, uh, full life. God, everything that's been created was created through Jesus. So this, this set of things that would, that would fall under this truth, it, it's large. It's not a very small set of, of what we would maybe consider Christianized things. There's a large sphere out there of things that you can enjoy that he has created. And uh, the amount of things that would be considered evil, I think, is relatively small compared to the good things that God has created that we can delight and rejoice in. So love does not, de- uh, excuse me, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, another interesting word, it can mean like a roof, to cover closely, or like support beams, to bear up. I think maybe both of those are good for love. First Peter 4, 8, above all, love covers, uh, love each other deeply because love covers a multi- covers over a multitude of sins. doesn't cover up, but covers over. I think of in Matthew 18 when Jesus says, listen, if, if someone has sinned against you, here's how you handle it. And the first step is one-on-one. The first step is not to publicly flog them. You go to them privately. That's covering over, not covering up. You're still bringing the issue up. There's this, this is where you wrong me. Here's this issue of sin. We're trying to figure that out. Loving somebody, I'm doing what's best for you. What's best for you is always less sin, not more sin. So we're dealing with that, but we're doing it in a way that's discreet. I'm trying to cover over, not cover up. Now, if you don't respond, there are other steps, and that kind of escalates. But the first step is always to cover over, to bear. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Again, I think in any long-term love relationship, whether that's marriage, parents, best friends, whatever that looks like, We're all going to have to learn how to bear with one another. All of us have flaws. We have weaknesses and we have sin in our life. And uh, if if we're going to love one another, we have to be willing to walk with each other in that. When I was growing up, until I graduated at 18, when my my mom cooked almost every night, and when it was time to eat, she handed us a plate full full of food. We didn't fit. I never knew people fixed their own plates ever. She just, and whatever was on it, the expectation was you were going to eat it. And so that's how I grew up. Here's what you eat, and then you eat it. Now, I remember the first time I went to the Golden Corral. It is not like dinner at my mom's house. There's 75 things down each row, various degrees of sanitary condition involved in that. But you, you get what you want. Love is much more like dinner at my mom's house than the Golden Corral. You don't get to pick and choose. Those of you who are married, you said it, for better or for worse. 
We bear with one another. It's a whole package. Here's the plate. You've got to eat all of it. And some of us pick and choose. One of the questions we ask couples who are engaged is, do you ex- is there a behavior in your spouse that you hope will change once you get married? Almost every one of them says yes. Almost every one of them. Wrong answer. Because my, my question back is, what if it never does? Are you going to be okay? Is this a deal breaker for you? Our premarital counselor told us people spend the first 10 years of their marriage trying to change one another. And I remember talking to Misty after about that point. She said, I just gave up. And we've been a lot. It's, it works better. Just quit. Give up. No projects. People are not projects. And if your goal in relating to them is to fix them, they're going to push back. That's not a relationship at all. That's not love. Love bears with. Love doesn't say I'm going to allow you to wallow, but it also recognizes we're in this for the long haul and I'm going to bear with versus trying to fix you according to my agenda, my techniques right now. Love always trusts. That's not gullible. Love doesn't lose faith. That's what we talked about last week with this Gideon being a mighty warrior, even though he was functioning like a sissy when this angel shows up. And he said, this is what I see in you, Gideon. That's what love is. It sees in the, in the object of love. It sees all the potential that's there. Never loses faith. Love always hopes, has an expectation of a better future. Love always perseveres. It's tenacious and doesn't give up. In 1787, Leonardo da Vinci sketched something called the Vitruvian Man. It was this picture of a man that's actually, that's how it should have been. So it was drawn by this, he drew it based on the dimensions, this architect named Vitruvius who was working on perfect proportions. And so he, we, he cir- or circumscribed a square circle around this guy and said, this is it, this is the, these are the perfect proportions in nature. And Leonardo da Vinci um, sketched it and then wrote out some of these proportions. I'm not going to go through all of them. The first one knocks out most of us. You're supposed to be six feet tall. Who's six feet? Right on the dot. Y'all are in. The rest of us are already out. Distance from the hairline to the bottom of the chin is one-tenth of your height. Distance from the top of the head. For some of you, that's the same as the distance from your hairline. Top of the head to the bottom of the chin is one-eighth of your height, on and on and on. There's probably 20 of these things. This picture of this is what it means to be a perfect man. I was trying to figure out what do we say should be a perfect woman. This was the closest thing that I could come up with. The scientists at the University of Vanderbilt did a study on her. If she was real, she would have to crawl to support her top-heavy frame. She would have room for a radius or an ulna, but not both. A tibia or a fibula, but not both. An esophagus or a trachea, but not both. I'm assuming that she would probably choose to breathe because she's obviously not eating. (laughs) Size 3 children's shoe, and her face would be so distorted she'd look like an alien due to the triple, her head is triple the size of an average person's head. Everybody has a picture. This is the ideal. We say one of our core principles, values for us is Romans 8.29, that God has predestined us to be conformed in the image of Jesus. For us, he's the ideal man. But what does that mean to be conformed into his image? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 can give you, those are some cliff notes 
on what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus. 1 John 4 says that God is love. 1 Corinthians 13 says love is these things. You can put those things, then God is these things. He's more than that, but he's not less than that. And so when we talk about being conformed into the image of Jesus, what we're talking about is becoming more like 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. You can actually put his name everywhere that you see the word love. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus is not rude or self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. And those things, then we reflect that back to us. If that's the goal, I'm supposed to be conformed into his image, then that description of him needs to more and more become a description of me. Love is absolutely something that we do. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. God never commands us to feel anything, but he commands us to act in certain ways. But love is more than just an action. It's also something that we become. As I become more like Jesus, I become more loving. And as I become more loving, I become more like Jesus because those things are so closely tied. So I can ask myself, am I patient? Am I kind? Do I envy? Do I boast? Am I proud? Am I rude? Am I self-seeking? Am I easily angered? Do I keep no record of wrongs? Do I delight in evil? Or do I rejoice with the truth? Do I always protect, trust, hope, and persevere? That's nothing to make us feel guilty. It's just to recognize where the gap between what God's desire for us is and where we actually are. So this is how I want us to close. Three questions, and you pick one that you want to grab onto the next few minutes. One, if you look at that picture, if you look at these from 1 Corinthians 13, and then think, I don't want you to think of Jesus. Most of us, this is easy for a lot of us with Jesus. I want you to think of the Father in heaven. Which, are there things up here that you think, hmm, disagree? I would say, patient, kind, not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Those are ones that people have a hard time grabbing onto with the father, particularly if their dad was not those things. Is there one of those that you wrestle with? We want to pray this morning that God would show you. Paul says in Ephesians that his prayer for us is that we would know how wide and high and long and deep is the love of God. And so we want to ask God, which one of these do I wrestle with about you? Maybe for you, the question is not, you get it with God, but it's with you. Where, where's the gap for you? And if you're going to find the gap, if you're going to look, you can only pick one, you can't pick four. Where's the one that you feel like, I, 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 I'm not doing well with that? And if you're going to do that, you also have to pick one that you are doing well. Because you are. There's one of these that you're doing well. There might be seven that you're not, but there's one that you are. So if you're going to pick one that you're not doing well, you have to do that knowing that you also have to pick one that you are, where you are becoming more like Jesus. And we want to pray with you about that as well. You don't have this amount of love in your heart, and you've got to figure out how to maximize it. God is the source of love. There's several times where, where Paul prays. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 3. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. So if you're struggling in one of these areas, then you can ask God to help you love more. He can 
give you more love, just like he can give you more wisdom and more grace and more mercy. It's not something that you have to come up with on your own or grit your teeth and say, I'm going to love it. Ask, and he'll give it to you. Third, so connection, you and the Father, is there an issue there? Personally, I need to grow in this particular area. Or the last one, is there a person who you need to love better? Jesus said to love your neighbor, and he said to love your enemy. Everybody's one of those two or somewhere in between. So the, the set of who do I love includes everybody. The set of who, do I, who can I not love is empty. That's what the lawyer asked him about the Good Samaritan. Well, then who's my neighbor? If I've got to love my neighbor, then who? And Jesus basically said, anybody who you run into who has a need, you love them. So he's, again, he's made the set. It's an empty set who we, who we can get off the hook. We have to love everyone. It may, Mother's Day is next Sunday, and that might you might need to say mom or mother-in-law. That's who you want to love better. Maybe someone else. So one of those three questions, I want you to grab onto it. Bo's going to come and lead us in uh, one more song. We'll have ministry teams up here, and we'd love the chance to pray. We'll pray with you about anything. We'd love the chance to pray with you about this. There's an issue. I don't see God in this way. Let us pray for more revelation. I'm failing in this area. Let us pray for God to strengthen you. I need to love this person better. We're going to pray for the grace for you to do that. So you guys can stand. I'm going to pray, and then uh, Bo will dismiss us after this song. Lord, we do thank you um, that you are love out of everything that you could be.